0: How many of you enjoy investigation TV shows or courtroom dramas and movies? How many of you enjoy that kind of thing? I think evidently quite a few people, because they make a lot of TV shows based on that, they make a lot of movies on that. Why is that? What is it about those kind of shows that just grabs us? I think it's because all of us know that there is this whole fascination with sorting out evidence and then making a decision, reaching a verdict. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've watched shows like that, I'll kind of grade the jury on the decisions that they make, the verdicts that they reach, and sometimes go, I wouldn't have made that same verdict. All that changed a few years ago when I got a letter in the mail inviting me to be part of a real live jury. Now, because I was a pastor, they didn't let me be on that jury. But I remember thinking to myself, wow, the stakes just went way up. See, it's one thing to watch from a distance and go, boy, I sure hope they make the right decision. It's another thing to suddenly know, boy, I hope I make the right decision. Now, I bring all this up because if you're following along in the notes today, what I hope you'll see is that as we wrap up this year-long study in the Gospel of John, the New Testament book of John, I want you to see that John, who was one of Jesus' followers when he walked on the earth, John tells why he records all these encounters with Jesus. John tells why he records all these encounters with Jesus. He, he, he shows his cards. He, he shows his hand. He says, I want you to know why I, I put all this down. God led me to share this with you for a very specific reason, he says, Now, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing for 40 weeks this last year is we've been studying the gospel of John, and here's the slant we've been coming at it from. When we looked at this uh, 13 months ago, the pastors went away to plan for this coming year. We saw that there's several ways that we could have unpacked this gospel, but we saw that in this gospel, John gives lots of snapshots. He gives lots of encounters. He gives lots of conversations that Jesus had with real live people when he was here on earth. And our thought was that if we can somehow look at those encounters together, we're wondering if maybe those encounters might lead us to have an encounter with Jesus too, or that we could learn from those encounters. And so if you haven't been with us, let me just say that the very first week when we started this series, we passed out this uh, little folder called Encountering Christ, the Gospel of John. And on the back, we talked about the goal of the series, had information. My understanding is there's only probably several left out on the ministry center, but if there are any, you're welcome to take one. But on the back here, let me just tell you where we've been. Very first week, we looked at this incredible verse, how Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Can you believe it? He came from the Father, the Bible says, full of grace and truth. And it was this incredible combination of 100% grace, 100% truth that people encountered. So here's some of the people that he encountered. He encountered John the Baptist. He encountered a religious leader named Nicodemus. He encountered a sinful woman at the well from Samaria, a royal official, a paralyzed man. He encountered his brothers who didn't believe at first, the Jewish leaders, a woman caught in the act of adultery, a blind man, Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, Mary, who anointed him with very expensive perfume. He encountered Pilate, and he restored Peter, as we saw last week, one of his own disciples, after he denied him three times that he even knew him. We've been seeing how, again, there was incredible experiences like when he fed over 5,000 people with just a little bit of food. We saw how he washed his disciples' feet and shook up their world. We saw how he died on the cross. And then we saw how he amazingly rose from the dead just as he said he would. And all these encounters have helped us understand one thing. Jesus Christ is fully God, fully human. And he came to this earth, and he came so that we might encounter him. And John says, "I want to tell you why I wrote these things." If you're looking at the message notes, there you'll see in that first gray box that when we come to the last couple of verses of John 21, uh, John, who never ever says his name, uh, you know, clearly he always refers himself to the disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved or this disciple. He writes these words. Would you read them with me out loud from the notes there? John 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. In fact, what he goes on to say there in verse 25 is Jesus did many other things as well. I mean, I only wrote some of these down. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, but for right now, just follow me. This means that Jesus, what he did here on earth and what he continues to do here on earth, is so massive that John says, it would be impossible for me to write everything down that he did and is doing. Years ago, I heard an, a, a story that I've, I've never been able to check out, but I think it was true, is that this clerk at the uh, Library of Congress was once called one day, I guess this happens from time to time, and a person on the other line said, um, I'd like to find out how many books in the world or in the Library of Congress there are that have been written about Jesus. And evidently, without missing a beat, this clerk said, John 21, 25, said, have a good day. <laughs> and then basically what he's saying is, I don't think all the books in the world could hold. What? what Jesus has done. It's just impossible. And so what I hope you'll see in that verse that we just read, in verse 24, if you're following along in the notes, is that John says, I'm giving you testimony. I'm testifying. What's a testimony? If you're following along, a testimony is just evidence given by a witness. You see, we're back to that courtroom drama talk. We're back to that investigation kind of stuff. It's evidence given by a witness. And so John's trying to say, look, I'm giving you this evidence. I'm not writing a biography. Some people think that the four Gospels are biographies. They're not. They were never written as biographies. They weren't just written to be interesting or entertaining. Go, that's nice. Listen to what Michael Card says. The purpose of John's Gospel is not to be a biography of Jesus. John completely omits his birth, childhood, and most of Jesus' life while giving an inordinate amount of time to the last week of Jesus' life, something a respectable biographer would never do. John's purpose is to give a testimony, not a biography. The gospel is not meant for our enjoyment or to satisfy our curiosity, but that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and thereby have life in his name. And that leads to this next line in the notes if you're following along. John testifies, here's what he says, so you also may believe. He says, here's the reason why I'm giving this testimony, why I'm testifying, why I wrote all this down. It wasn't just because I had plenty of free time. It's so that you, not just me, not just us, may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Look at this. As Some of you know that John was the last disciple to die. In fact, he wrote this gospel uh, some 40, 50, 60 years after this happened. So he was the last one. He died as an old man. He was the only one who died a natural death. All the other disciples were martyred. John eventually would also write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in our Bible and also Revelation. The revelation was of Jesus Christ was given to him. And so look at what he says in 1 John 1 1 through 4. Here's what he says He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have, what's the word there, friends? Fellowship with us. That means to share something. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. I'm so glad John wrote these things down. I write these not just so that we may believe, but that you may believe. And as Brian said at the top of the service, it's amazing what happens when it becomes personal. I was a pastor's kid. I've told you this before. So I grew up, I got a chance to hear a lot of these things taught. I got a chance to see the way they impacted different people and then didn't impact some people. But I can tell you this, that I remember going for weeks, months, and years without it ever impacting me, I didn't necessarily want that way. I just didn't know how the connection. But man, when the Lord started making himself known to me, when all of a sudden it was about you, and and you was me, what a difference. Friends, I just want to tell you, I'm not talented enough to make that happen in your life. I could preach till I'm blue. Some of you know I could. (laughs) But boy, when God comes to your seat, he comes to your house when he comes to your life and that's what we're praying will happen this morning as we wrap up this series we, we had no idea 13 months ago when the pastors went away to prepare this series that how this would work out you know here the sunday before christmas looking at these last few verses kind of different than normal isn't it but we sense that god wanted to do something and you know today this sunday before christmas could be the most important day in your life If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you begin to have life in his name. And um, I want to just tell you before the service ends, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to believe in Jesus Christ. If you never have before, or if you've gotten away from believing Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come back to him and believe in him. So I want to just pray before we look at this passage and wrap this series up. Would Would you join me? Now, Lord, if you really are alive, and I believe you are, would you show yourself and reveal yourself, not just to John and the other disciples, but to us. And we've been praying for this, and only you can make that happen, so we rely on you, we look to you. And I pray that you'll do this so that people may have life in your name. Amen. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to look at verse 31. So would you open your Bibles, please, to John? And this is the last time I'm going to invite you to do that, I guess, to this series. But by the way, it's totally legal to look at John after this. And also, some of you have said, you know, I missed most of this series, the things you just talked about. I'd be interested in maybe hearing one or two of those messages. If you don't already know, we have all of our messages online. There's no cost or charge. We have podcasts. Some of you will write and tell me, hey, I'm listening to you while I'm working out or I'm listening to the message or when we were driving, someone uh, texted me yesterday and just said, we got loaded up, we're traveling seven hours, we're going to listen. I'm going, man, you're amazing. (laughs) But the truth is, if something like that would help you spiritually, this is one of the reasons we make it available. So we hope it could and just know that you can go to our website. It's there in the bulletin. You can look it up and it's under median messages. So, okay. So but here's the verse, uh, if you turn to John, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have red ones. I know some of you are sitting in the back, so there's no seat rack in front of you, uh, but we have red ones, and you can pull one out. If you don't have a Bible, you can take it home, and uh, John's about three-fourths of the way back, and here's the verse that I want to look at. In fact, I want to mention two more before I have you read the verse that's in the notes there. Let me read a verse 28 uh, through 31 in John chapter 20. Jesus has appeared to Thomas, and Steve taught on this at Easter. But the idea here is uh, that uh, Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I see the, you know, his pierced side, I'm not going to believe. I can't believe. I just can't. And so look at what happens. Jesus says, you know, reach out your hand, Thomas. Put it in my side. Verse 27. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love that. Jesus pronounces a blessing on those of us that would not have the opportunity to see him physically. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. We talked about the eight miraculous signs that he listed, beginning with the turning water into wine at Cana, all the way to his resurrection, which he predicted But between all those, he showed these, and they were signs, meaning to point us to Jesus, point us to God the Father, that we might be restored in a relationship with him. So he did all those things. And what John is saying, translated here is, I didn't put them all in, and here's why. You don't need any more than the ones we've already provided in the four Gospels. You have enough evidence to believe. You can believe without seeing, he's saying. You can do that. Jesus pronounced a blessing on people that would. And so I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so verse 31, I want you to read it with me there in the gray box there in the notes so we can all read off the same translation. Let's do it together. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, now let me just unpack this. And then we're going to actually hear a testimony from someone in our church. What does it mean to believe? That you also may believe. This is kind of a hard job because in the United States, believing has taken on all kinds of meanings. You see it in sporting events. You see people talk about it. And what they mean is, is it's wishful thinking. I hope, I hope, fingers crossed. And believing has taken on this kind of era. And some people think that believing is just intellectually or mentally agreeing with something. And maybe that's, some definitions of believing, but that's not the Bible's definition of believing. So let me just talk to you about what real believing looks like that John had in mind here. The word believe, if you're following along, means to trust him and with my whole self. Believe means to trust him with my whole self. Every once in a while when I'm studying passages like this, then during the week, I'll have things happen. Uh, conversations through my mind, uh, across the ticker of my mind, things that'll impress upon me, things I'll think about. So let me just tell you a thought that came to me when I woke up the other morning, and you can tell if I didn't get enough sleep the night before, okay? The Lord just seemed to impress on me. He said, Jeff, a lot of people think believing is this, and and the picture was my head just going out. I believe, but my feet and my heart stay where they are. And the idea is that a lot of people go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I agree with that. I agree with that. And they think that's all that Jesus meant when he said, believe in me. But that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant at all. He wants us to trust him with his, our whole self. That means our head, our heart, our feet, our hands, our will, the control center of our lives. We're basically saying, I trust you. I entrust my whole life to you. I know that I am imperfect. I know that that'll be a messy situation. But if you're asking, do I want to respond with trust in you? Yes. The answer is yes, I want to trust you. Now, here's the thing I want you just to see in case you question what I'm saying about believing. Look at James 2.19. Some of you know this verse, but this is powerful. You say you have faith. You say you believe, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror, in other words, they at least have the respect to tremble when they believe like that. But do they believe to the point of obeying? Do they believe with their whole being, their whole self, surrendered to Jesus? Absolutely not. That's the difference. And so what a lot of people do is, we've got this easy believism in the United States that just goes, just nod your head and agree. Just at least like Jesus, be a fan. That's not what Jesus, Jesus wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for wholehearted followers who would believe in him with their whole being, their whole self. Now, just so you know, some of you say, like, how would I do that? The first seven weeks of 2013, we are going to devote ourselves to looking at what it would look like to believe in Jesus with our whole life, our whole self. And we're calling this series Whole, our whole life because we really want to understand that. Now notice another thing about believing. Believing, if you're following along, is an event and continuing way of life. Believing is an event and continuing way of life. From time to time, I remember the words to the song from Amazing Grace. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first, what's the next word, friends? Believed, past tense. That was a time in my life, a chapter in my life, a day in my life. When I began to believe, and that event, everything that's happened after that is part of believing in an ongoing way. But what a lot of times happens is that some of us go, well, I believed in Jesus when I was a kid. Just go, anything happened since. And some people go, not much. And that's a misunderstanding of what belief is. Belief has both a now and continuing sense. And so Jesus, as we saw with the royal official, takes our believing in the beginning, as imperfect as it is, and he develops it. He deepens it. He helps us understand. This is what it'll look like when you believe me with your whole self. This is what it'll look like when you believe me in this area too. This is what it'll look like when you believe in me, you trust in me, when we do this together. And that continuing sense is so very important. It's a process. Notice if you're following along, what he wants us to believe, what John hoped we would believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God in human flesh. The Word became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Friends, you know this already, but John's very careful to say, I'm not asking you to believe Jesus is one of several options. He's not saying, I I pray that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, a possible Messiah. He's not a son of God like some other prophets and religious leaders claim to be. He's the one and only son of God. Very offensive, very offensive, isn't it? Sounds exclusive, just one problem. If it's true, then it's not up for vote. If it's true, then it's not bragging. It's just telling the truth. And John is trying to say, look, you know, we may have been fuzzy on that before, but we realize that the Bible clearly says there will be one Christ. There will be one person through which all of human history is affected. And what you do with this one person, this one who claims to be the Son of God, will, will divide people into one of two groups. That's just, that's how, that's how it cuts. The truth cuts. And so that's an amazing thing. Next thing I hope you'll see is that Jesus has been fully accredited to God by us. Now, some of you, what I love about you, your hearts, you definitely don't want easy belief. You don't want this cheap belief where you go, okay, all because the rest of the crowd is doing, I'm not going to be a peer pressure person. I really want to believe, like Thomas. I can't just, like, kiss my brains goodbye. So help me. Help me, is it possible to really believe in this Jesus and not have to be certifiably dumb or insane in the eyes of other people? Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus did everything necessary to prove that he was the one. In fact, look at this verse, Acts 2.22. I love this. When Peter was preaching to a crowd, he says, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you through his miracles and the wonders and signs that God did through him is common knowledge. They're common knowledge. In other words, you, just if you think we're just religious people, go talk to people in the crowds in these towns. They really happened. He really did fulfill all these scriptures that John wrote about, and that's what just blew him away. He Everything lines up. When I was in seminary, I went to three different seminaries because I went part-time and full-time at different years over about an eight-and-a-half-year period. Well, one of the seminaries I went to, they told me at the beginning, uh, you may have trouble transferring some of your credits if you go to another seminary because we're not yet accredited. We're in the process of being accredited. So I hadn't really ever thought about that word much. But what that meant was is they had not gone through the process, all the requirements necessary to be recognized as a fully accredited school. Friends, I just want to tell you, Jesus went through everything necessary to be accredited to your believing in mine. Amazing, God's done everything necessary, so don't let that get in the way. The last thing is that you also may believe that only Jesus can save and bring us to God. That only Jesus can save and bring us to God. I remember years ago, hearing Ted Turner say publicly, I don't need someone to save my soul. <clears throat> I have a measure of respect for Ted Turner. So I'd like to just respectfully disagree. Not only does Ted Turner need someone to save his soul, I need someone to save my soul. And the Bible says all of us need someone to save us. I'm going to talk about that a little more in just a few minutes, but let me say this. When Jesus died on the cross, if it wasn't necessary, he wouldn't have done it. If there was some other way that God needed to forgive us or God could forgive us, I guarantee you, he would not have gone through the pain of having his own son die as an innocent third party on our behalf. The Bible says is that he had to be crucified for us because we must be born again, and there's no other way for that exchange to take place unless Jesus did it. And the Sunday I preached on the cross, some of you were here, I talked about this amazing thing that what Jesus finished What he accomplished on the cross was at least three things. He rescues us from the coming wrath of God. He pays our debt, our penalty, our ransom that we all have morally before God and relationally before God, and he opens the way. He RPOs us. He rescues us. He pays. He opens. And it's through what he did that he can bring us to God. The Bible says all of us, like sheep, have gone astray We have turned everyone to his own way. We are not in a relationship with God, but we have been separated from that apart from what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Wow. So John says, I'm writing this letter. As I finish up, I just want you to know I may never meet you till heaven. But I write this that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then he uses this amazing, powerful line that you may have life in his name. I don't know about you, I like life. I love that word. That you may have life in his name. What's he mean? Because last I checked, there's a lot of people that don't believe in Jesus and they're walking around breathing, right? What's that mean? It's possible to exist and not to live. And Jesus is the only one that can give us life and life to the full. One of the reasons he said he came, John 10.10. So let's just walk through this before we listen to the testimony. Life, if you're wondering what the Bible means when it talks about life, here's definitely the definition in John's gospel. It means a relationship with Jesus now and forever. You know, you can do a lot of things, but unless you have a relationship with Jesus, you're never really going to know the kind of life the Bible's talking about. You may accomplish a lot of things, you may have a lot of possessions, and you may still be empty. You may see a lot of places, you may get a lot of positions, but unless you have the life that comes through a relationship with Jesus, now and forever, you'll miss it. So will I. The word eternal life, when it talks about in the Bible, does not mean heaven. It includes it. But eternal life is a quality of life that can begin now, today, on this Sunday before Christmas. And in John 17, 3, Jesus says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That's life. So to have a relationship with God through Jesus and with Jesus, that's what it means. And it's a now and forever thing. Do you realize that your human history, your destiny can literally be changed by believing that Jesus is the Christ? That means that no matter what you face, you, you can know a different quality of life. Some of you know that the man that started the service today, Pastor Brian, he and his wife went through a pretty tough hit a few weeks ago. Their twins, girls, died prematurely. They were seven months along, and we had a memorial service here a few nights later, and we talked about what Jesus Christ can mean for all of us even in the midst of those tough times and I remember a number of people saying to me you mean that even if you go through something that devastating it's still possible to know life yes and that's what makes Jesus different than any other person that claims to give life friends and I mean to tell you It also leads to something, and this is going to be uncomfortable, what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments. So, In case you wonder, Jeff, are you aware what you're saying is uncomfortable? Yes. But I think you can handle it, and I think you must handle it, because it's the truth. And here's the next line if you're following along. Not everyone has life and is going to a better place when they die. (sighs) Not everyone in this world that you lock eyes with or that may even be in your family or circle of friendship, not everyone, has life, and is going to a better place. What do I mean by that? Well, let me just show you a couple verses from John's gospel that speak to this, and then I'll unpack it. Notice what this says in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There are some people who believe, and there are some people that don't believe. There is dividing through what's going on. Now look at what Jesus says in John 8, 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. That's pretty straightforward. And it's possible to die, you and me, in our sins apart from Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons that we exist as a church not because we believe that we're superior or that we have something that we're so, hey, we're, we're better. No, we're like one beggar showing another beggar where there's bread. And Jesus says that if you do not believe in me, I'm telling you this now, I'm telling you the absolute truth so you can deal with life as it really is. You will die in your sins. Wow, this is big, friends. And it leads to this next thing, is that believing in him, is a life or death deal. It's a life or death deal. First John 5 13 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And John eventually would write first and second, third John, like I said in Revelation. In Revelation, he talked about how when he was allowed to go to heaven in a vision that God showed him very clearly that there were two groups of people that were divided that stood before the throne of Jesus. That means that when you and I die, whether we like this or not, whether we've ever been taught this or not, we're gonna eventually stand before Jesus and give an account. That means that there's a lot on the line of what verdict you come up with with Jesus. That's why John humbly and graciously wrote this letter that you and I might have an opportunity and that we as a church would also give other people opportunities. After the last service, a lady came up to me and said, I know my parents, do not know the Lord, and I've been sensing that I needed to at least invite them to believe in Jesus, will you pray for me? And I said, I would be more than glad to, I know that's enough to make your knees knock, isn't it? But that's gonna grow your believing in Jesus and what only he can do and hopefully it'll invite them to believe as well. And friends, that's our responsibility, is to believe and reach a verdict. You know, I'm conscious that every Sunday there's things going on in people's minds and hearts that I never know about. But there's a lady in our church, some of you have seen her artwork downstairs in the children's area. You see the mural that she's painted. A number of years ago, she came to our church and she can tell you that while she sat in a seat just like yours, there was a battle going on in her soul about whether or not she would believe in Jesus Christ the way he was asking her to. So I want to invite her to come up. Would you please listen as Diane Schlehan shares her testimony, please.
1: Good morning. Truly believing in Jesus was a process and a very real struggle for me. As we have studied in the Gospel of John in the past year, I was reminded of that struggle and overwhelmed once again by the encounter Jesus had in Chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Jesus, tired, hungry, and thirsty, went to the well in Sychar Samaria at high noon specifically to encounter this woman. He waited for her knowing her past and present sins. Reading at this time, I realized for the first time that Jesus was always doing the will of his Father, and God the Father was waiting for her, too. He accepted her as she was and saw in her something that she herself couldn't see. She resigned herself to be the person she was with no hope of anything better. Jesus loved her unconditionally, and he saw that the emptiness inside of her was the driving force behind her sin. He knew that she was longing for him even before she knew it. He offered her living and truly satisfying water. That woman at the well is me. I came to Cherry Hills divorced desperate and seeking. Jim who who is now my husband, invited me one Sunday when we had just begun dating. I came thinking I was already a baptized Christian, but what I began to realize was that even Satan and his demons believed in Jesus. But did I really know him? Did I have a personal relationship with him? I was shocked at my conviction Did I have religion or relationship? You see, I grew up in a family that attended church every Sunday. And throughout the school year, I attended mass every morning before class. I believed I was saved because I'd done all that I was told to do. I'd been baptized, confirmed, and believed in Jesus. But something was still missing. We had a lot of rules in our home and I grew to feel unloved. I couldn't begin to meet my parents expectations of me nor do I ever remember receiving hugs and I love you's. This had a huge effect on my view of God the Father. I viewed God like the Father who made rules that I couldn't keep. I was overwhelmed with feelings of guilt and shame. No matter what I did It was never enough to earn their love, and I felt unlovable. I have spent the majority of my life seeking to satisfy that deep need to be loved. Much like the woman at the well, desperate. I came to Cherry Hills, empty and seeking and thirsty. Jesus was waiting for me here. He knew I would come. In the beginning, I felt condemned and guilty. I had tears I couldn't control and felt this uneasiness throughout the message, but I longed for more of God. Jim continued to be a man of integrity, a true witness, unashamed of his deep faith and love for the Lord. I began to pray a simple prayer. I'd heard in a sermon, I prayed, Lord, help me to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jesus answered that prayer. I began to understand and my eyes and heart were open for the first time. I finally came to the end of my emptiness. Jim and I walked forward at the end of a Sunday morning service and I invited Jesus into my heart. and Jim rededicated his life to Christ. That was the beginning of my freedom. Freedom from religion, condemnation, and guilt. Freedom of forgiveness and love for my parents, and understanding they were broken too. It was the beginning of truly understanding mercy and grace and the unconditional love of Jesus. I'm still learning so much about grace and mercy. Having waited most of my life before giving my life to Jesus, I have so many regrets. I wish I had raised my daughter differently and made fewer mistakes. And it was no mistake and no coincidence that the passage from the Bible given to me to read at my daughter's wedding was Jesus reminding me once again that God is love. I could not fight the tears as I read from 1 John 4, 10, which says, this is love. Not that we love God first, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This was a perfect message for my daughter and her husband and all the family and guests that were present. Looking back, I now understand that God created me knowing that I'd be desperate for love and come to the end of myself. He had a plan, and his plan was to use a broken person once filled with emptiness to tell others about his unconditional love and unending grace and mercy. I'm still young in my faith, but I'm growing and pursuing more of Jesus. I also know the difference between condemnation or guilt and conviction by God. God was drawing me to himself through conviction. The tears I have cried are because my heart was being reshaped by him. And I now realize those tears were the deep work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. He was offering to me the worst of sinners and a person who had no hope, his grace, his mercy, living water, life eternal, and love I'd always craved. John wrote his testimony in the book of John so that we could know and believe Jesus. At the end of his life, in another letter called First John, he wrote, God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Regardless of your background or past sins, come as you are. Jesus stands ready to save you, a sinner, if you will accept his invitation to come to him. He is a Savior eager to forgive you. He's waiting for you, even if you are empty at the well. Don't harden your heart like I once did. Don't run from His invitation, run to Him.
0: John's testimony led to her testimony. It calls for a verdict. And so the closing question in the notes, I know some of you don't want to go home with empty blanks here in your notes, is where do I stand with Jesus this Christmas? Not where does my mom or dad... That where does my brother or sister, my coworkers, my classmates. Where do I stand with Jesus? Last Sunday, we saw how Peter cut through, Jesus cut through it all with Peter. What is that to you? And if, before you put your notes away, there's a blank there. I just want to invite you. Where do you stand today as you do business with Jesus? Is there something you can write in that space? Maybe some of you want to write, I choose this day to believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to do that. Friends, I just want to tell you, if that was you, if that's where you are this Christmas, this can be your best Christmas ever. It can be the beginning of something new. So as we close, I just want to ask those of you that if you just would stay seated, and we're just going to just take a few moments to think about where you're at and do business with God, and then we'll be dismissed. So would you mind bowing your head and just thinking about where you are with Jesus Now, if you have never believed in Jesus Christ, today could be the day. How do I do that, you may ask. The disciples taught people that all you need to do is call on the name of the Lord with a heart wanting to believe in him, and he will meet you right at that exchange. That can happen in your car, it can happen here. And some of you may be saying, well, I'll think about it later when it's more convenient. Be careful. It's easy to put things off. Or you may say, well, I'm too afraid to do that. What is it going to mean for my family? What's it going to mean with my life? I I don't want to be out of control. Just, friends, don't let any of that stuff get in the way of what Jesus is saying to you. Maybe you've gotten away from Jesus and he's asking you to come back to him. You stopped believing somewhere. And you know he's calling you back to continue believing him as a way of life. Maybe you already are believing him as a way of life and he's been deepening and developing that believing and it's challenging, but you want to continue going the distance with him. Whatever it might be, would you seal that in your heart today? And then I want to pray a prayer here in a moment and you'll be dismissed, but if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ today, we invite you to come down front, tell me or tell one of the people here at the front so we can pray with you and get started in this relationship with you. Now let me pray. And we'll have music, and you can walk out to or walk forward to, but you're invited to come to the front and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in people's lives. I pray that we have been faithful to present what you want us to present, and we'll just trust you with the results of what you do. Thank you for what you did in Diane's life, and I pray you do that again and again. Let this Christmas be different for many people this year because they have life in your name. And everyone agreed with this prayer and said, amen.